that the future is actually unknown and that our various kinds of energy are limited and that discernment can be like a paintbrush or a, a pen or a, a creative tool that we use to uh, create our life, which is also creating the world. Explore the power, pleasure, and mystery of spiritual practice outside of institutional religion. I'm Shane the Catskills, an artist living at the intersection of social justice and spirituality, who spent a decade living in a Zen Buddhist monastery before re-entering lay life in 2019. And I'm Peg Conway, a writer, energy healer, and motherless daughter. I anchored myself in the liturgical rhythms of the Catholic Church for my entire adult life until I just couldn't anymore. In our last episode, we talked about rituals of dissent. In today's episode, we're talking about rituals of discernment. Good afternoon to you, Peg. Good afternoon. How are you? Um, it is Memorial Day weekend as we record this, and it is just exquisite outside, I have to say. And um, I also would say I am arriving a bit with um, a heavy heart today. Just carrying some um, fresh grief, some older grief, and holding that alongside of all of the many other things um, that I'm feeling today, and um, feeling very grateful for sort of the long days that we have right now, um, with late spring going into summer, I feel like um, it feels like a very leisurely, beautiful place to be feeling a lot of different things. What about you? How are you arriving? I am arriving not similarly, but in terms of the holiday weekend, the weather here is nice. It, it's like, it feels like all of a sudden the days have gotten very long. Like it's like almost nine o'clock and it's still bright out. And it feels like that happened in the past yes. week or something. And yes. that's not the case, but um, yeah, it feels nice. We um, have a few little get togethers with family and not too much on the calendar, but, you know, not too little either because too much unstructured time I get kind of, I don't know, lethargic or something, but, you know, having a few little things like, oh, good, we're going to go do that later. So I'm going to do this now, you know, yes. it's nice. Yeah. I love that. So um, we spent a little time sort of circling in on our topic today, rituals of discernment. And just as we were kind of recording the intro, I was thinking about, you know, my monastic discernment, which was a 13-year process, um, was just sort of a macro discernment. And I, I feel like my rituals of discernment these days are kind of micro discernments about mm. my schedule and my, you know, my time and my energy and my relationships and, you know, what am I giving my energy to? So I don't know. I just think it's interesting. I just thought of that as we, as we got started. Well, that's interesting because as you were talking, just started talking about that, it caused me, I did, it's surprising in a way it wasn't my immediate association, but you know, in the Jesuit tradition, discernment is huge. Um, the Ignatian um, exercises, which are the foundation of kind of retreats 
um, there's a whole, the whole process of discernment is based in a number of different things, but one of which is noticing feelings of consolation and desolation Mm. and around desire. I mean, it is actually around desire. Can you say more about that? Well, St. Ignatius um, had, uh, he had a change in life circumstances because he was a soldier and, you know, a partier and, you know, socially prominent guy. And after he was injured in battle, he was limp. He lame, he was lame and he limped and he, he went on a spiritual path. He was inspired by the stories of the saints. And then he, uh, he wanted to become a priest and he wanted to serve God and he did all these things. And he kind of eventually put together his experience into a kind of a a practice. So I, I call it the spiritual exercises and it's typically presented in a 30 day format, like as part of the Jesuits training, or it's also been adapted to be done over a period of weeks, months. And it's kind of the basis of spiritual direction really in the Christian, Hmm. in the Catholic tradition. I mean, there's many other offshoots of it, but that was, you know, this is like in the, uh, so anyway, where, where was I going with that? Um, Um, the, the, um, Oh, so he would the director was to listen to the director, spiritual director was to listen to the retreatant and kind of to help them identify what brought them uh consolation and what brought them desolation. And this came out of his experience of reading when he read the he noticed that when he read the lives of saints, he felt inspired and you know uplifted. But when he read like a romance or some courtly novel or something, he felt sort of eh, empty. And so that was kind of, I mean, that's one of the stories that's told about him. I'm sure it's more complex than that. Um, but anyway, that is that was a big part of my um religious life, my formation. I took a I happened to take a course on it in college at a Jesuit university. And but it was all it was kind of discerning, focused, as you said, on a macro, though. It was more about my life's purpose, my my vocation or my, you know, my next step. It was it was, yeah, it was more, more in line with that. And it was layered through like a big part of the um, spiritual exercises is meditating on the gospels and, you know, um, imagining yourself in each of the different characters and kind of entering into the story in a very imaginary, imaginal kind of way and sensory, you know, associations. And I actually never got too much into that, but you know, we know, obviously under the auspices of the Catholic Church, and Ignatius was very loyal to the Church, although he was investigated by the Inquisition at one point. You know what's interesting to me about this, like if you sort of remove the whole um, Catholic context about like discerning what brings us consolation and what brings us desolation, I'm like that's a solidly good piece of information to have. It, about it totally is. It right? and it's a bodily. It, it is. It is a bodily sensation of how do I feel. What is my internal response to the idea of entering into this career or this, you know, or even at a very at much more micro level, like to, to, you know, I'm just thinking about myself, you know, like, um, you know, eating macaroni and cheese and binge watching The Sopranos. It's like, you know, what brings consolation and what brings desolation? Like those can be very close to each other. You know, it, it's easy to it could be easy to conflate those things actually. And so to discern, to disambiguate, you know, what is actually consoling 
and what actually makes me feel terrible is, right. is so, um, I think that's, it's, it's not hard and fast. Like, yes, you know, macaroni and cheese as comfort food and binge watching can be absolutely oh, consoling. A thousand percent. But not always. <laughs> not, not exactly. Always. Exactly. And that's the A, that's the both and, which is our whole brand. And I just think the, you know, rituals of discernment, it's like, you know, what are we, how are we discerning? Like, what are we using to discern? You know, I think of the suit of swords and in the, in the tarot and the air element and, and really the ace of swords as sort of like a tool of discernment, you know, that that's a, an aspect of the mind and, you know, the heart also discerns. I think that's what you were saying about like, it's a, it's a bodily experience mm -hmm. too, that if we're only discerning using our mind, I mean, I was quite certain that I wanted to be a monk and I did at a certain point. And then over 13 years, you know, that discernment got very sort of fixed. I'd had a lot invested and yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, I don't think my discernment was incorrect. I mean, ultimately I discerned that I was actually you know, I was saying this the other day in my painting class, actually, that if I were to tell the story today of why I left the monastery, what I would say is that I realized I, I'm an artist, not a monk. Mm. And that's a very different story than I told, for example, last season when we talked about, you know, how it ended. So, you know, it's interesting. I think discernment is really interesting. And I well, feel that's so interesting what you're saying about I'm an artist, not a monk, because I think I have told this this anecdote on maybe not on a recording, but having a realization maybe mm, several years after I was no longer attending my parent attending church and realizing I that I wasn't bad for having left or feeling that I didn't fit anymore. It was like the difference between being in the cocoon and being the butterfly. Like I had come, come beyond something and my having moved beyond it was actually a function of having been in it. It wasn't mm. like I was rejecting it. I simply had stepped into a different place as a result, really in many ways of the influences and growth that I had experienced. And that is such a different I need to say things to myself many times before I sometimes actually feel them. And I, that is one, that story is one that I come back to every now and again and coming back to it right now gives me a, a different felt sense of consolation that, oh yeah, that's really how it was. And it feels yeah. all very much more soft. Yeah. The story is um, a shapeshifter and it's like, you know, this is such a better story. It's a true story that I'm an artist and not a monk. It's not like I'm making up something that's not real or true. Um, but it, you know, I had to get to this, get to that story, honestly, like, you know, it, that is not the story I told for a while because that's not, you know, it's just interesting to think about. Um, you know, we were well, also, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. We were also talking about discernment in terms when we were having our little pre pre-show chat about this, about, um, discernment in terms of you know, work in the world, both like, you know, our vocation or what we do for work and also like political work. You know, we were sort of talking about, you know, 
the world is burning and, you know, in the meantime, here we are and, you know, discerning like where we put our life force energy, which is vast and limited, you know, our time on this planet is, you know, mysterious and fathomless and also quite limited. And so, you know, how, by what measure, what are we using to help us discern our commitments and priorities and all of that. So yeah, I'm curious if you have any sort of thoughts about that off the bat. Well, I can tell you that my my default software that was installed um, is so driven by shoulds. Like mm. that, that is my, not, not, I mean, I would not say I'm that reflexively that way now in my life, but as a result of that strong conditioning, and I think probably natural bent of my personality, um, it's hard. It is to answer the question, what do I want to do? Or is, is sometimes very challenging, Mm. very challenging. For example, use of time around things that, you know, commit me to other entities where I'm going to make a commitment to do X on a certain day. Sometimes that's very easy to do. And other times it feels like, oh, do I really want to give up my Friday morning for that? I don't know, you know, but I should, because I really do value what that activity is about. But the fact that I'm questioning it, maybe that's actually not a full yes. That's a maybe. Um, Because the things that are full yes are simply yes. Like there's no, Mm. there's no doubt. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. So it's a struggle. Like, so sometimes asking myself, what do I want? And what, how does it make me feel? And what is pleasurable? I, that is a question I've begun to ask myself, what would it be pleasurable to be involved in this? Or would the pleasure of this outcome be worth the potential inconvenience of, of what I would have to give up or what I, and often what I have to give up is flexibility. Like if I make this commitment, then I don't have this open time. And I have discovered that I am the sort of person who does need a bit of downtime. Like I need, if I go too long without some quiet time, in fact, I discovered yesterday and today that I actually need to spend time reading in addition Mm. to writing or praying or extra, you know, being in nature, reading a book is, is very grounding to me. A physical book. Yeah. In the past couple of weeks, this is kind of how we got started on the topic. The past couple of weeks, I've been in a very um, unstructured kind of schedule. Cause we went out of town to visit our, well, we visited both of our sons, but we spent more time with our youngest son. He graduated from his MSW program and we hadn't mm. seen him in a couple months. And then the second, the next week, our daughter-in-law and granddaughter came from Wisconsin to visit our daughter and the new baby. And you know, that it was, it was wonderful. It's all wonderful, but it's very different. <laughs> Like it's, I'm not doing yeah. my usual things yeah. and it starts to feel like, well, am I ever going to get back? What, what, what is normal? What is routine? What is important? It's Where sort of, am I? Yeah. It yeah. sort of throws everything up for evaluation, I think. And I don't, I don't actually like that, but it does, it, it's kind of where I'm at. I'm in this like in between, I don't know, we're starting summer and I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I relate to all of that. I Thanks for giving us a look under the hood. It's so relatable that like um, all of that, the you know, I, I feel like for me, like maybes are no's. A maybe is a no. And I feel like I've gotten really um, 
I've had a very dear friend point out to me that like my nose can be very sort of hard and rigid. And that's been very helpful to sort of, I think that's been very reactionary to, um, you know, being in an environment at the monastery where really it was bow and serve. It was yes. It was yes. There was no, you know, would you like to, you know, I was speaking with a friend who's a lay practitioner and when, when they're in residency and the monks are asking them to do something, they ask. And when you're a monk, they just tell you, this is what you're doing. <laughs> they don't oh, ask. Interesting. And interesting. so I think my sort of nose were kind of like a, a child with a new toy in the beginning. Yeah, just, I don't have to, and you can't make me. <laughs> yeah. Basically like, that's a no, that's a no, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. <laughs> you know, our granddaughter says that sometimes. Do you, would you like more, uh, whatever? No. <laughs> and I no. love that. Like, I like that love little it. like tone at the end. Like, like why no? are you even asking me you? this? Yeah, exactly. Like the thought. So, and I feel like I have really gotten in touch with my yeses. And, you know, for example, Surge, uh, showing up for racial justice, my political home. I, I say that Surge is who I say yes to. And that is, that helps me when all these other, you know, but this is happening and that's happening. And what about this? It's like, yeah, I have my um, political home, my people that I say yes to. When when I can say yes, I say yes. And that saves up a lot of, um, you know, I am an energy efficient machine. I don't know if that's my Capricorn stellium or what, but I do believe in energy efficiency for myself in my life. That's just kind of how I run. And um, it also, yeah, I'm like thinking about my astrological chart and so on and so forth, but I don't like to spend a lot of time perseverating about, you know, should I do this? Should I do that? And I really relate to what you're saying about, you know, being so deeply conditioned with the shoulds and, you know, really getting familiar with that question of what do I want and really practicing that at a very micro level. It's a prescription I give to so many of my clients that I see for tarot is sort of like, if you really pay attention to the small things, like what kind of tea do you want? You know, what kind of, <laughs> what color socks do you want to put on right now? Like actually check in that that mechanism of recognition becomes clearer. I think when the larger stuff comes along, it's like, oh, I know what my yes feels like. And I know what my no feels mm -hmm. like. Um, I also have a, a pattern in my dis discernment history that sometimes things that feel hard, that feel like a no, because they feel scary are not, sometimes that's actually meant to be a yes. Like I, I have to, I do have to ask myself, am I feeling resistant to this because it's really not for me? Or is it because I really know it is for me and it feels a little challenging, but it's a threshold I deep down want to go over? That that can take some time to unfold. Sometimes, often when it, that happens, it's like what just sort of then happens. It's, I don't. If I have to force something, I actually take that as a very strong cue that something is not meant to be. Like, you know, if yes. I make overtures to someone or something, and yes. if it's you know get put off or gets postponed multiple times, I think, oh, 
okay, that's not, that's not, not for me, not for me right now. And, you know, St. Ignatius wanted to go to the Holy land and serve souls. And it was during the crusades and it was difficult to travel. They ended up in Rome and they couldn't get to the whole, to Jerusalem for a long time. The ships were not going. And so they served the people in Rome. Like it was like, well, that way is blocked. And I've always remembered that story. I think I'm pretty sure I've told that here before. Um, I've always remembered that story that, well, that way wasn't open. So they, well, this is what we want to do. We're going to do it here. And I love that. I That makes me think um, so important, both things that you just said about the initial no as resistance and the finding the way. It makes me think of um, Our Lady saying, when things get hard, go downhill. Mm -hmm. That's something that I think about a lot um, because the Zen language was like, you know, it feels like being caught between two iron mountains. And it's like, no, I'm not not doing that. And what you're saying about resistance is so funny. It makes me think of my art practice and our mutual friend, Robin Love, who, you know, sometimes people have suggested to me in my art practice, like, oh, do you ever think you'll paint? And I'm like, no. And Robin's like, I'm really looking forward to when you start painting. It's sort of like the beginning of my creative process often comes with like a big no. And whenever she hears me say like, I don't want to do that. And she's like, well, then you better get started right away. (laughs) And it's often true. And so I think that's really important, you know, this, that we're talking about yeses and nos, and there are nos that are sort of just like a stop sign warning us that some sort of adventure is ahead that we may yes. or may not be ready for. Yes. Yeah. Very I true. love that. I love that. Um, yeah. When things get hard, go downhill. And like, that's such a, I've told Perdita Finn, who is who I first heard that from when she quoted our lady, that that really like fucked me up because I had come from a place of believing that like, especially spiritual practice should be hard. Mm. It should be rigorous. It should be challenging as opposed to, it should be like water flowing downhill. Um, And it doesn't mean that like you avoid difficulty, like at every, you know, life is, life presents enough difficulty, you Mm -hmm. know, you don't have to seek it out. You don't have to, Exactly. it isn't our spiritual lives and nothing needs to be, we don't need to make it hard. The hard will come. We don't have to seek it out. (laughs) Definitely. But yes, obviously the Catholic right. culture also can seem to celebrate martyrdom and, yes. and suffering as a, as a good in I itself. Think, I think I told the story here maybe last season about going, um, accompanying one of the teachers on a silent meditation intensive up in our, the Buffalo affiliate, the monastery's Buffalo affiliate. And was we had the retreat at this Catholic center a place where they trained priests. And so we were sitting in what was the Zendo and there was a giant wooden crucifix on the wall that I faced the entire weekend. And I was like, they really have the suffering thing on lock. You know, I thought the Buddha would like, you know, life is suffering, but I'm like, that is the this, visual. You can't, the, you can't. The visual, I was like, whoa, that is, every room had a crucifix in it. It was like extremely fascinating and intense. I do want to ask you about, so you and I pray 54 day novenas with uh, the way of the rose. And so every 54 days we are, you know, formulating a petition for our heart's desire. And I'm curious what your process of discernment is for discerning your heart's desire for the 54 day novena. 
if you have one? Um, often my next novena prayer and a novena prayer is like a central petition, like that you're working with over this, this time period. Um, sometimes it comes to me in the, in the previous novena, like a sort of general theme. And then I might, you know, I do pull tarot cards and write about it and just sort of ponder it. Um, often it changes like in the first couple of days and actually I've gotten much more, um, I don't know what we're casual, laissez-faire, easygoing, easeful about, oh, it'll come. Like, I don't even, yeah. I don't work that hard at it. I, it's, I, I was kind of in a um, very diligent kind of mindset. Well, I need this petition and it's 54 days. And now I've, the last two, I've sort of been, oh yeah, I think well, I'm going to start this one now. You know, it's, it's, uh, if it doesn't come for the first couple of days, not worried about it. Yeah. I love that. I How think I, I think I try to, you know, it's the most confronting koan I've ever worked with. And I've worked with many koans. Uh, what is my heart's desire? I, I, I just think that is such, I feel like that is a question that has changed my life. It's the question. What is a question that has changed your life is a question I present people with in my asking good questions workshop. And there are a couple of questions that have changed my life. And that is definitely one of them is what is my heart's desire? Uh, I think it's so radical to sit with that question. Um, well, when you, when you parse it, like I, I early on in our acquaintance, you use the, the statements around coming up with a petition that it's not a productivity exercise and it's not a self-improvement project. And when you, did when I you, say that you did when you, when you pull off those layers or kind of, filter the the potential petition through that um those two filters lenses it's like okay you know certain it makes you question like well do i really want to eat better is that really <laughs> what i want to do really is that maybe is I that do. what maybe my heart I, is longing for yeah, yeah maybe my heart is longing for better health or better sleep or, or vitality or you know yeah, yeah yeah enjoying you know being able whatever it is play with my grant whatever that whatever it is, but as a positive good of, or a positive result, not like I eat five servings of vegetables every day, you know, yeah. like, and, and that's a good thing. I try to do it, but it's not, yeah. um, I'm not sure it's my heart's desire, but yeah. you know, connecting to the earth through food or, you know, there's like, there's lots of different ways to look at it, but it is, it is, it is a very, and I think the part that helps me to kind of identify is it's not only one thing. It's not my only desire in life. Right. It's like, well, what, what is really calling to me right At now? At this like, time. Yes. And sometimes a phrase will come to mind or something just pops up. And I usually trust those the most because sometimes if they come out of the blue, it's kind of come more sincerely than yeah. things I've been perseverating over. I find the, if I can, if it can sort of be kind of a, a single word or phrase to me, that is more trustworthy than something that feels kind of complex and, and, and sort of convoluted. Um, and that, that could just be me with my like distillation proclivities. <laughs> um, well, we all have our own desires about how we like to pray. So that's exactly, okay. exactly. And that's one of mine is that it, for me, it's easier to kind of carry around, um, in my body, heart, mind, if it's simple. So, uh, 
for example, and I also notice that my petitions are kind of over time weave into each other. Like this time, two years ago, I was praying for sobriety and this, this time I'm praying for intimacy and those petitions are, feel like they're interweaving and talking to each other, Hmm. you know, it's just sort of, um, yeah, it's interesting and mysterious, you know, discernment, I think can sound like a very exacting thing. And I think there are situations and contexts where that's true. And I love, I feel like you were, you were sort of articulating this in talking about how you've gone from being diligent to kind of more flexible that, you know, good, good discernment, I think is, we're, is flexible. Like Mm -hmm. we become semi-permeable membranes and responsive to, to how we're experiencing what we've discerned we wanted and knowing Mm -hmm. when to make an adjustment. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. I was thinking about, well, this novena that just started last week, um, coincidentally on the new moon, I like when they start on Mm. the new moon, um, the Naveen, the petition I came up with is to embrace my cronehood. Mm. And that is a discern. It is discerned because of discern the need, the desire to discern, the identified need to discern. Because the last really since my daughter gave birth to her daughter, like the the everything feels my schedule has been more fluid. I go visit them, they come over here sometimes, and not every day, like maybe once or twice a week. And then we had the travel and the visitors, which was related to the baby. And I, I realized that, that this stage of my life, that is, that is how it is. Like they all, all of our kids work full time. And so their schedules, you know, their schedules are more limited than ours. And so their, their needs kind of have to lead, like we can fill in because our schedules are flexible and that's kind of how it is at this stage of life. Like we can be responsive. And so being responsive to other people's needs, it's kind of like when my kids were little, we're back to kind of being responsive and then filling in with my other priorities. And that kind of brought me up short because, you know, we've been empty nesters really for quite a while, kind of doing our thing. And we certainly have that ability still, but I, it's caused me to like examine how am I, how am I using my time? And Mm. it, that felt too literal or too transactional or something like, how am I using my, help me discern how to use my time or help me prioritize my activities that just felt too, I don't know, specific, technical, technical or something. Whereas literally this phrase, my cronehood came to me like mm-hmm. at night. And I thought, that's it. It's like, how can I move through? How can I be in this stage of life fully in a way that pleases me and connects me with my family in ways that I enjoy and will be enjoyable to them. It just seemed like it, it just landed. I mean, and then I didn't question it anymore. That's such a perfect example of like, um, not a productivity exercise and not a self-improvement project. It's like spacious enough to contain all the sort of what you're longing for and also leave space for things that you haven't considered that the, the mysterious, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's so beautiful. I love that petition. I do too, actually. I like them to be fairly short to be able to say, I'm praying this, this, I mean, I'm praying, boom, like it's, 
if it's a whole paragraph that gets, it feels unwieldy after a few days. Yeah, that's what, you know, for me, I like to be able to carry the keyword around with me. And I, I notice that really life meets me there, you know, um, either by, you know, tell me if this is your experience too, is like, whatever the keyword is, is what I, my heart is longing for. I will start to see all the places where it is not, you know? I, well, there is that. There is right? that. Some, yeah. <laughs> some prayers you, you make with a little trepidation, like, um, I wonder how this is going to Yeah. At the same time that I do always keep in my pocket that Our Lady doesn't do gotcha. So it's not some superstitious thing I have to worry about, you know, stepping on a crack and picking the wrong keyword. And I'm going to, you know. No, I don't mean like that either. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 sometimes it's like (laughs) the resistance to the things you don't want to do because you're a little afraid. And then sometimes you get a shove in or I don't know. Absolutely. Like it's. It's Absolutely. So. so I want to just go back to discerning kind of political commitments, because that was something that we sort of thought about earlier. And just wondering, hashtag in these times, um, how you're thinking about that in your process of discerning, you know, where you want to put that energy or how you want to um, have that be kind of a creative process for yourself. Well, I'm honestly, I'm thinking about my grandchildren's future and recognizing that, you know, there's a lot that needs done and a lot that I could contribute to. So there's that little bit of should going Mm -hmm. on, but not completely because I do enjoy participating in the public sphere. Absolutely. I have in the past. Um, I have attended some of the recent um, surge calls. I'm thinking, I'm, but part of me is like, I feel a little afraid like of, of making phone, I, the activities that are on offer from surge make me a little afraid. Like, mm, can I do this? I don't know. I could certainly try. I've certainly done things like that before. Um, I also have a, a nascent pull or urge toward something very hyper-local, which yeah. is not presented itself. Like, on the ground, literally with people in my immediate area, like the, um, so I don't know, I'm kind of waiting to feel, but the surge thing feels like maybe one of those challenges that I might, I might actually be wanting to do. I just need a little bit more calling or a little more, um, oomph behind it. Um, or just, you know, throw caution to the wind and like, well, it's not a lifetime commitment, sign up and do something. And if I don't like it or, you know, it's not a, either or kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at, but that's where I'm coming from. Like, well, I have, I have the gift of time and the privilege of time and where my, where my, and, and thinking about it as my, you know, kind of in this cronehood label, where, where does that belong? Mm, I love all of that. Uh, relatable, all of it. I mean, in the story share I did, I talked about leaving my first phone bank early. So well, that's, you know, you were very empowering that way. It is so funny. I want to say for our friends and listeners that to go on, to, I think every time I have attended a surged call, Shay has been a speaker <laughs> and I'm like, oh, we're now going to hear from Shay about blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, how many Shays are there who are going to talk? <laughs> it's only happened twice. You've like been it's, on... it's been yeah, twice. Yeah, exactly. But you were there both times, which I love. <laughs> and you have been fabulous. Well, I do feel like it's important to just sort of, when people say, you know, making phone calls sounds really scary, I can say like, I get it. <laughs> I get it. 
And, um, and also like, I don't think that's the only way to do the work. I, you know, organize with Surge because they create such great containers for me to do the work as, as spiritual practice, which is kind of how I see it. You know, I have little things that I am working on in my, you know, in the work that I do with them. And I think, you know, getting involved hyper-locally, I mean, Surge is always sort of pointing people in that direction. Um, I don't have a chapter near me. There are plenty of other local things that I could be involved in. I think because I started organizing during the pandemic when everything was on Zoom, I got kind of hooked into Surge. Uh, at well, that actually, time. the Zoom piece is actually appealing to me because the, you know, the ease of entry and like sign up for an hour and a half and it's literally an hour and a half. I don't yeah. have to drive and then do the activity. And then, you know, it's like, it, it's an ease of um, engagement. Yeah. I mean, that's really true for me too. And, you know, that's where I feel like I'm learning a lot about relational skill, about uh, do, do I think that like humans are ultimately going to make it? I have no idea. And in the meantime, <laughs> you know, what kind of world do I want to participate in creating? I think that's kind of, you know, one of my guiding questions in, in hashtag in these times is I think a lot, so I haven't thought a lot lately, but it has come back um, about Germany in the 1930s. And I think what could people have done? What could, if more people had done some other things might might it have been different? And, you know, we've, tra I've traveled and we've been to Berlin. We've been to a lot of different places, been to a lot of Holocaust museums. And I, that's a, it's an important question to me. Like, and that, so, you know, the surge current priorities around 2024 and Ohio is one of the key states where I live. I, I feel like that's, those are callings. Those are little invitations to me that feels like, you know, um, pay attention. Yeah, I mean, Surge is identifying authoritarianism as on the rise. I mean, anyone who's got their eyes half open can see that. And I think actually there are a lot more anti-authoritarian people. I think that the, you know, that, and I think there's a lot of people who are immobilized and demobilized. And I think I'm among them. What's that? I think I am among them in terms well, of the frozen up and oh you know I, I feel like it's very understandable mm -hmm. and that's why uh for for many many reasons and that's why I think uh you know Tony Cade Bambara said the role of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible and I think there's something about making it delicious to participate in anti-authoritarian collective action is exciting to me, you know, and I hate calling strangers. <laughs> Both of those things are true. You know, that's a great example of like, do I really want to call people in Tennessee and talk to them about, you know, their rental situation? No, I don't. And <laughs> there's a larger yes, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I just think it's interesting to be in a process of recognizing that the future is actually unknown and that our various kinds of energy are limited and that discernment 
can be like a paintbrush or a, a pen or a, a creative tool that we use to uh, create our life, which is also creating the world, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to make that Very feel, well put. to make that feel more creative than like drudgery mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or a test. Like it's your, you know, discernment as a test that you're e- either passing or failing, you know? Well, true. Oh, I'll tell you something else I'm discerning, which I think I've kind of arrived at a, I may have arrived. Another phrase that came to me not too long ago was my 60th summer, which this is, I'll be 60 on August 20th. And that feels really significant. Like, wow, 60 is not 40. I don't care what anybody, you know, (laughs) I mean, just in terms of the number of years lived, I, I, I'm grateful for the health that I have and all I'm grateful for many things. I don't mind being older, but it just, it's like a, wow, look back. And it's, you know, high school was over 40 years ago. How oh can I God. even be, you know? Yeah. Um. And so I'm, it feels like I want, I don't know, what do I want to do in my 60th summer? I want to have fun. I want to go do things. And yes, that feels like a, that I, I feel like I want to heed that. That feels like a, a calling that I want to discern. And what does that even mean? What what, yes. what does it mean to have fun? Well, I mean, I feel like I do have fun plenty of, anyway. But um, again, it ties into that that petition around cronehood too. But it's this interesting. I think I would say that one of my primary discernment tools is phrases that come to me that somehow seem like worthy of my attention, almost like a internal billboard or a little mm. whispering voice like, my 60th summer. Okay. What does that mean? <laughs> like, That's a very swordsy intuition. I like that. Mine's like that too. Yeah. I love that. Your 60th summer. I know. I think about, you know, how, when you get older, time seems like it's moving faster. Yes. And I think about, you know, when you're 10 years old, the day, a day as a proportion of your lived life is much bigger than a day as a proportion of your lived life at 60. And I, I feel like that's where the acceleration comes from. And I don't be. know. That's just something that I be. like to, you know, the days were endless when I was 10. Oh, yes. A yeah. week felt forever. Forever. <laughs> now when Friday or Saturday comes around again, I'm like, oh my gosh, another whole week's gone by. <laughs> <I know. laughs> what did I do? I don't remember what I did this week. <laughs> well, this was really good for having no idea what we were going to talk about in our and usual it's way. Fun. As usual. It's fun. So this, by the way, will publish on June 16th and coming up on our one year anniversary of the ritualists, which is kind of incredible. Uh, So I'm just putting that out there. Thank you to everyone who keeps listening. In honor of our, well, not in honor of our first anniversary, but in connection with our first anniversary. We're going to actually be meeting. Well, God is willing. Like like we thought we were last year and COVID intervened. Yes. So meeting finally peg and i will meet in real life um here in woodstock next time though where you are um yes. out on your patio porch we're gonna you can do sit that. at my new table yeah exactly <laughs> exactly i love it so to check out um what's inspiring you now well i mentioned about reading like i like to read books and Today, yesterday, I started, I picked up a book that I bought when we were in Minnesota visiting Christian. We went to a store called Birch Bark Books and Art, mm. and it's owned by the native author, Louise Erdrich. 
And so it was only a couple blocks from our Airbnb. So we went, made, had a little outing and I bought Christian a book and I bought two books for me, one of which is called Earthworks Rising. And it's about mounds in native literature and art. And, you know, Southwest Ohio has, a, Ohio in general, has a lot of mounds that were built by indigenous people in centuries past. The whole East Coast, actually a whole Eastern US, there's more than you think, but there's a concentration in, in Ohio that have really come to fascinate me. And I, I started reading, I, I immediately had to buy this book and I realized it's what I've been missing. Like I, it almost embarrasses me that I didn't, it didn't occur to me that what I've been missing is native voices about these indigenous Mm. things these indigenous mounds everything i've read has been from you know white academics and i visited them and we, we visited a couple of them and i, I find, just find it very moving well the native way of of researching includes ceremony mm. and embodiment and lying i mean they actually he had some a whole thing where he's reporting on a, a research visit he made with some other actually artists to the serpent mound here in Southwest Ohio. And against the rules they laid on, they laid on the mound, though they're glad that there are rules that everybody can't lay on the mound. Um, and he, in the book, he said he had to uh, reject the norms of Western scholarship and just write about his experience, not like put it in some sort of academic writing. So anyway, I am so jazzed about this. I'm having, mm. it's been so, um, just so interesting to, to, to learn how native artists like embody the mounds in their poetry by like layered images and language. And I, I, I can't do it justice, but it's just really intricate and really creative and inspiring. Oh my God. I love that. It's like disrupting our notion of what authority is and where it comes from and what it looks like to be authoritative on a subject. Yes. Um, and he talks yeah. about in the introduction, he talks about experiencing the mounds and regarding the mounds outside of the white imaginary. I love And that. I love that phrase. Yes. I didn't in even know that's what I was longing for until I picked up this book. Oh my gosh. I love that. I Now I want to check out this book. Um, what is inspiring me now is also a book called Let This Radicalize You, Organizing and the Revolution of Reciprocal Care, which is brand new, hot off the press from Haymarket Books by Kelly Hayes and Miriam Kava. And uh, it's actually the next title for Liturgical Book Club, which I will drop links to. We're going to read the book out loud together and uh, leave time and space to share out and discuss about it. And Kelly Hayes and Miriam Kaba are two very longtime organizers who met in Chicago and worked on a lot of campaigns together and have remained friends. And they offered, they wanted to write a book to young organizers just starting out as sort of accompaniment to their work and the things that they've learned together. And I just started it um, just in the beginning, and it is so incredibly, I mean, I'm like, it, it's one of these uh, books where I feel like I'm underlining everything, but mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the foreword is by uh, Maya Shenwar, who um, writes for, I think she's the editor-in-chief of Truth Out, but 
at the end of the forward, she says, um, after all these days, becoming radical isn't an impulsive dalliance. It's a leap toward allowing yourself to believe in the possibility of our collective survival and to believe that even if we don't make it, we are all still worth fighting for to the last breath. Mm. I just think that that's so leaving it out on all out on the field, you know, in this really, uh, and the book is so inspiring and talks about how, you know, um, scary facts do not inspire people to take action. You know, it's really just such a, uh, head turning kind of book. And I'm really mm. excited. You know, there's already tw 25 people who've signed up to be a part of the book club, which will meet on, you know, two different days at two different times. And I'm really excited to like do a deep dive into this book with a group of people. So that's inspiring me right now. Awesome. Is there anything that you want to let people know about that you're up to? No, actually, oh, I, I am, love that for you. I am going Having to turn my summer. summer. Like that's kind of that's kind of where it came from. I am gonna. I do need to schedule the making space workshop. I have a number of people who are waiting on me to do that, and I do want to do that. So amazing! And I just want to say, I got to take your uh, session through Atta Yoga's Let's Talk About a Death series about grief, and it was amazing. And I look forward to you teaching that in the future. And people listening to this should sign up for it. It was kind of a mind blower. Well, thank um, you. It was very rewarding. It was a very beautiful group and experience for me too. Mm. My teaching schedule for the rest of the year is up on my website. So you can check out all of the sort of one-off workshops that I'm up to, and I'm going to start a couple new cohorts in the fall for the study tarot series. So um, that is what's happening over here. This has been absolutely delightful fun as always.